Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Abba, we thank you for this um, awesome season, uh, a, a season of miracles and festival of lights and rededication. And we pray that your word would go forth to encourage those who hear it, O oh God, encourage your people, build up your people, O oh God, and uh, draw them closer to you through the hearing of your word, um, that I would become less and that you would become more. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, happy Hanukkah, everyone. It, we've come to this appointed time. You know, there's something excuse me, very, very holy and very special about this season, I think. Do you agree? Yes? Uh, lighting the candles every night with my wife uh, in our home, it takes me back. Uh, just watching them burn to memories of my childhood, and uh, we would do the blessing, and uh, we would get presents, and it's just a really, really special time. Last week, we talked about uh, the lessons of Hanukkah that we found in the book of Maccabees and some of the predictions that are made about those events in Daniel. But it's interesting to note that the only actual mention of Hanukkah in the Scripture proper is actually in the New Covenant. And I'm sure many of us are familiar with this. It's actually in John chapter 10. Yes, very good. So I wanted to take a look at this. What is the significance of this mention of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, in the Gospel or Besorah of John? And I wanted to take a look at the context of John overall, and I believe we'll find the answer there to why uh, this is included, this mention of Hanukkah. So uh, to back up, the four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each give a unique a uh, story, a unique account or perspective of Messiah Yeshua. It's like uh, if you had uh, one event, a very special event, let's say, and you hired four different cinematographers to each capture it, right? They would each get uh, kind of a different take, a different perspective, but it would be the same story. Does that make sense? So in John's gospel, uh, this is kind of his, his flavor. Uh, there's a lot of very clear contrasts. Um, uh, so there's, you have light and dark, right? You have the righteous and the wicked in John. You have the temporary things of the world, and you have the permanent things of heaven. And this brings out the idea that ultimately, as I've stated before, we have a choice between two kingdoms. Uh, the kingdom of heaven that we're accustomed to, and, and uh, in the other three gospel accounts, it always talks about the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Remember I've talked about this? But in the gospel of John, he, he doesn't use those words. It's, he has a different perspective. What he says he calls the kingdom of heaven, he refers to it as eternal life. Eternal life. This means that Everything we know about the kingdom, right? What is that? Forgiveness of our enemies, humility and love, justice for the poor, 
putting others ahead of ourselves, healing and restoration, all of those things are now connected to abiding eternal life in Yeshua. All right, this is the perspective that John wants us to have. Abundant, full life, everlasting life, life of righteous action and light and truth. These are brought forth in the Gospel of John by trusting in Yeshua the Messiah. So to, to frame this eternal life in Yeshua, um, how does the Gospel of John begin? It's characterized by <clears throat> Yeshua's unique identity, and it's explained that he is the Word with a capital W. Can, can somebody make a W out there? I can't. I have the, the microphone here, all right? The big, think big W word when we hear that he's the Word. Amen? So to explain this, um, I was thinking about there's a, there's a kind of a comedic video out there, um, and there's a very immature person, okay? And he, what, he has a problem. He repeatedly throws things on the ground, right? He thinks this makes him mature, but actually it's very immature, okay? And he's handed a phone, and someone says, it's your dad, to which the, the man-child replies, that's not my dad, that's a cell phone, and he just... What does he do? He just throws it on the ground, shattering it to oblivion, okay? So why would I bring up this kind of crazy story? Well, to show it's a common idiom, right, in our, in our language. This is an, an idea that we understand, right? Of course, a phone is not a person per se, but if I hand you a phone and I say, it's your dad, you probably wouldn't do what? You probably wouldn't throw it on the ground in disgust because you are mature, right? And you understand that the person's voice, right, represents that person as if they were actually there. So it makes sense. It's your dad. Oh, yeah, we all, we all understand that, right? All right? So in the Besorah of John, Yeshua is understood, is understood this exact same way. This is in John 1, verse 1, the very beginning of of the Besorah, the gospel, which explains the identity of Yeshua. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the Word with a capital W, right? We're picturing this, was with God, and the Word was God, okay? So God, our Father, is sending us a message, and the phone, or the voice, or the Word, is the life of Yeshua, right? When you call someone, you're, you're sending your voice to represent you as if you were actually there. Do we understand this? Okay? And so therefore Yeshua is is somehow distinct from the Father, right? Because he's the voice, he's the word, but he's also one with the Father. Okay? He is one with God. And this is an idea that repeats in the Gospel of John. So John is reminding us, it's like ring ring, ring ring, who is it? Who's calling? It's your father, it's your dad, but it's your father in heaven, right? So when you get the phone, what should you not do? Don't throw it on the ground, okay? Don't be like the immature person, right? But we receive the message from God. This is what John is encouraging us to do. In other words, it's important that we listen to the word with a capital W. Listen to the voice because it's the word of our father in heaven. It represents um, it represents God. And so in this section of John that we're looking at, um, uh, which has to do with Hanukkah, there's actually four Jewish feasts 
um, that Yeshua moves through that are mentioned in John 5 to John chapter 10, and the last one being Hanukkah. Okay, so we're going to go through them and kind of take a look at this. We're keeping in mind the identity of Yeshua in the beginning of the gospel. So in John chapter 5, Yeshua interacts with some Judeans about the meaning of our first feast. Does anyone know what this, this might be? It's very important. It happens every week. Shabbat. Okay, so he's interacting with uh, some, some crowds about Shabbat, and they're very upset with him. Because Yeshua healed a man on Shabbat. And he said, take up your mat and walk. And before the man was unable to walk, and now he was healed. Okay, so in John 5, verses 17 and 18, this is the center of the problem. Yeshua explains why he healed this man on Shabbat. And this is what he said. But he answered them, my father has been working until now, and I too am working right? This answer made the Judeans all the more intent on killing him. Not only was he breaking Shabbat in their eyes, but also he, he was saying that God was his own father. He was claiming equality with God, and this upset the Judeans at this time. Yeshua is not only violating their understanding of Shabbat, uh, how they, what they think it should be doing, but he's saying he's equal to God, which as we've seen, this is a theme in the Besorah of John. The word or the voice is equal to the person. So there are two things going on here. First, Yeshua is giving the ultimate purpose of Shabbat. And what is he saying? It's, it's, it's not just about resting, but it's about healing. It's about restoration. Amen? Do we believe that? That's what God does when we come here, right? He is healing and restoring us. Okay, the goal of resting on Shabbat shouldn't just be, oh, we take some time off, we take a nice nap, right? Those things are nice, right? But, but the goal should be the renewal of creation. This is God's goal for Shabbat, if you will. This is what he's doing through this very important weekly feast. And there's another thing that's happening. Yeshua, as God's word with a capital W, is manifesting God's purpose, so he's showing the nature, the character of God, because he's the, the voice, the word of God. And in this case, it's God's purpose for Shabbat. This is why we come together on Shabbat to worship. This is why we ask God for healing, because this is the purpose of coming together on Shabbat. God's rest is really restoration, which is fully realized in Yeshua, the source of eternal life and the kingdom of God. Okay, then in John 6, there's another festival that's mentioned. Anyone want to take a guess what, uh, what is mentioned? The next one. It happens in the spring. Passover, Pesach. Okay, Passover is about deliverance, of course, but it's also about provision. Why do I say that? Well, Yeshua represents the, the Passover lamb, of course, who was slain uh, for our freedom from slavery. But after the Exodus, where did we go? We were free, we're finally free, and we went right to the promised land? No, God provided for us while we were in the desert, in the wilderness. And we wandered around, and what did we have? What was that provision? What did that look like? Manna. Mmm, sounds yummy, right? It's this, uh, this 
kind of bread. Well, what is it? Exactly. That's what manna means. Because when they saw it, they're like, what is it? So that's a good question. So I'm answering that with another question, just like a, a, a good Jew would do. All right? But it's kind of like this bread substance that fell from the sky, right? And they ate this, and that was their provision. So God saved us from slavery, and then he provided for us when we were in a dry and weary land. And to connect with this, uh, this is before the feast, just before Passover, but it's mentioned in the, in, in the book of John. Yeshua does something. He miraculously multiplies the bread so that a crowd, entire crowd, can eat, right? And then they ask for, for more. They, they're not just content with this sign, but they want to see a little bit more. And Yeshua gives a very unique response. And this is the exchange. This is in John chapter 6, verses 30 through 35. They said to him, New? New? What miracle will you do for us so that we may see it and trust you? What work can you perform? Our fathers ate manna. What is that stuff in the desert? As it says in the Tanakh, he gave them, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Yeshua said to them, yes, indeed. I tell you, it wasn't Moshe who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the genuine bread from heaven. So he's twist, twisting the meaning a little bit, right? He's taking them in a new direction. Where is he taking them? For God's bread is the one who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread from now on. We want this manna, right? And Yeshua said, I am the bread, which is life. He himself is that provision. So Yeshua is the bread which brings eternal life, the fullness of the kingdom of God that we saw in all the other uh, gospels. Not only is he sent from God to provide the fullness of life, but we are to trust in him. He's saying to ingest him in a sense, right? And that's hard for us to understand. It was hard for the disciples to understand when they're like, when he's saying, you need to eat me, I'm the bread. They were kind of like, whoa, this is a little weird. But uh, some of them stuck it out with him because he was the one that had the words of life, okay? But Yeshua plays this role um, it's kind of a dual role. He's multiplying the food to show provision, which goes back to the desert time, right, after Exodus. Um, but he also, um, he himself is that bread. Do we understand? He's the giver and the substance of that bread. Our very sustenance, our life is found in Yeshua because he is the word of God and God is the source of life. Okay? So speaking of wandering in the desert... That should be a clue. There's another feast that Yeshua interacts with. Uh, do we know what this is? Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And God not only provided us manna, as I said, but also a couple other things. He gave us what? Shelter, right, which is the point of Sukkot. And he gave us something else. We got bread, we got shelter, but we're in the desert, so we need something else. We need water right? And remember that, you, uh, that Moshe struck the rock, right, right? to give us water all, th all those 40 years, right? Okay, so on the last day of the festival of Sukkot, um, there's this account. This is in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. Now, on the last day of the festival uh, of Sukkot, Hoshana Rabbah, Yeshua stood and cried out, let anyone 
If anyone is thirsty, let him keep coming to me and drinking. Whoever puts his trust in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. Right? Yeshua is now revealed as the life-giving water that sustains us. Living water in Hebrew, does anyone know what this is? Maim Chaim. Maim Chaim. Isn't that fun to say? Try that. Yeah, living water. Uh, And it also refers to water that is flowing. Fresh water, okay? Not just stagnant water, but water that is fresh and flowing. And this is an allusion to Ezekiel 47. And what's happening there? Streams of living water are flowing out from the temple, which is the center of God's presence, to the Dead Sea. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the Dead Sea, okay? So why do they call it this? Kathy Berry shared a little bit about this on Wednesday. Why is it the Dead Sea? It's too salty for anything really to live on it. So if you go there, it's very salty, and you get in, what happens? You float. Everyone pretend you're floating in the, in the Dead Sea, right? Okay? You're not sinking. There's so much salt, right? You can actually float in it. But the picture in Ezekiel, in, in, in chapter 47, what happens? The fresh water comes down from the temple into the Dead Sea, and what? And suddenly, it's full of life. There's little fishies in there, right? Little uh, seahorses. I don't know what, what all might be in there, right? But it's, it's, it's a reversal, right? From death, this dead kind of the Dead Sea, right, into life. It's become fresh water in this vision, okay? This is a picture of the fullness of life from death. You see, most things in earth are going the other way. Is that true? Most things are going from, uh, from uh, death or, or life to death, right? Or from order to, to disorder, okay? Or from clean to unclean. This is the order of things in Leviticus, right? You can't make something uh, clean if you have something unclean, right? If we remember the Levitical laws, if you have something that's clean and that touches something unclean, let's say you're um, a priest and you touch a dead body, the life force has gone out from it, what happens? You become unclean, right? It's not that that you make that dead body clean, right? You don't give life that way. It goes the other way, usually. Okay, but the messianic kingdom, eternal life in Yeshua, it's what? It's reversed. It's reversed. Okay, these laws are going the other way, toward restoration and holiness and life. That's why Yeshua can raise the dead, because holiness is going the other way, right? And he himself was raised from the dead, because he is going the other way. And so are all who trust in him. Ezekiel is describing a picture, if we think of the water flowing again, resurrection life, renewal, and restoration. Amen? Okay? And this brings us to the fourth feast. What do we think this is? Mentioned in John chapter 10. Hanukkah. You've been paying attention. That's good. Okay? So to this time, uh, what is Hanukkah all about? Right? It's the rededication of the temple. And it had happened pretty recently in Yeshua's age, just about 150 years earlier, which in, in Jewish history, it's, it's still on their minds. Okay? And Yeshua uses this uh, recent historical event to show more about himself. So in verse 36, 
Yeshua describes himself as the one whom the Father set apart as holy. That he himself is set apart as holy, right? And what does that remind us of? Sanctification, and it reminds us of the temple. The temple is set apart as holy, right? And that just happened uh, a few years ago before, before he came on the scene. He also declares in this, uh, in this speech, I and the Father are one. Okay, this is in verse 30. And this angers the Judeans again, but it, it clarifies and cements Yeshua's identity. Just as the temple was the center of God's presence and goodness, so to Yeshua is now, he's saying he is the temple, right? He is living water. Remember the Ezekiel part from just a chapter earlier? So the living water comes from the temple, and life and holiness and love flow outward from that, from Yeshua, okay, and from all those who trust in him. So during the Festival of Lights this season, the rededication of the temple, we remember Yeshua, who is, who is the light of the world. But why does it matter? Why does it matter that Yeshua is the light of the world, as we've seen? That he is the voice of God, the word with a capital W, the life-giving water from the temple. He's the word of eternal life. Because our lives are not just about doing what we, we see Yeshua doing. It's not just an ethic, but it's actually a relationship. We actually trust in Yeshua. Our lives are a trust relationship with God. It's not just about doing good, but it's about trusting and doing good and following him. That's what it means to follow him. Amen? I think this idea is summed up very well also in the book of John. This is in chapter 6, verses 28 through 29. So just before Yeshua explains that he is the bread of life, the crowds are asking him some questions, and they say, what should we do in order to perform the works of God? Like, how can we be godly in our lives, right? And Yeshua answers them very interestingly. Here's what the work of God is, to trust in the one he sent. To trust in the one he sent. Let's say that together. To trust in the one he sent. The idea is that trusting in Yeshua is connected to following his actions. They go together. Not only do we bring healing and restoration and forgiveness in our lives, but we trust in the messenger. We trust him who taught us to do this. It's a relationship. It's not just a teaching or an ethic. Not only do we look to make sure others are provided for, for their basic needs, but we trust in the one who is our provision. He is the bread of life. The word for the feast of Hanukkah in John, uh, it means dedication, of course. Um, In the Greek text is enkainos. Try that, enkainos. Yeah, kainos, the second part, it means new means new. So the idea is this is a feast of renewal. So I want to encourage all of us during this time, let us rededicate ourselves just as the temple was rededicated. Let us rededicate ourselves to the kingdom of God in which we have eternal life. They're connected. Let us be renewed as we light the candles each night to walk by faith 
in the Messianic King, the Word of God with a capital W, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Abba, uh, I just thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and uh, for this very special season. And thank you that uh, we can walk by faith and not by sight. And that um, uh, following you, Yeshua, is not just about doing what you did, but it's actually trusting in you, that you are the Word, um, that you are God and that you are with God, as it says in, uh, in, in the book of John. And uh, that you would help all of us to, um, to really be renewed in this season, O oh God, and to think about our lives in a way that we're um, living in such a way that we're, um, we're aware of your goodness and that we want to love others and bring your kingdom of eternal life on the earth out of a, out of a gratefulness and a thankfulness for your love for us during the season. And thank you for Latkes also. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Uh, please rise as you're able for the ironic blessing, and we're going to forego the um, bread and the wine because we're going to take the Lord's Supper, the Shulchan Adonai, downstairs together.